Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And today on the show, we are live back in Wellington. And we are answering a question from the audience. Not randomly plucked, but we have selected it. This one comes from Matt. And Matt wants to know, if you had a million dollars to invest in property right now, where would you invest and why? Andrew, what are your thoughts around this? And we've got a lot of other questions we're going to answer as we unpack this question. Okay, so the first thing you want to figure out when you're looking at investing is what you're doing it for. So if you're doing it for long-term wealth, I would not take that million dollars and just invest in one property because you lose the number one advantage that property has over other assets, and that's leverage. And so that's the the ability to go to the bank, use that as a deposit, and then take the bank's money And invest that as well, but keep all the gains. And also with such a low interest rate environment right now, I would want to be borrowing as much money as possible because otherwise you're going to make so much income that you're going to pay tax on that as well. What I would probably do if I were in retirement or nearing retirement, I would take that million dollars and I would invest in high yielding properties and I probably wouldn't have any debt against those or very nominal debt anywhere. And the reason I say that is because a million dollars in the bank right now is going to make you very little in terms of returns. Yes, you can invest in something like shares and get a better return, but generally speaking, people who are retired want a really stable income. So it might not be as glamorous as shares some of the time, but it might be a very good return that's consistent. And when I say yield, what I mean by that is probably something here. I'd buy an apartment in Wellington. I would get something that is going to give me a really good return with low costs. The one thing you want to be really aware of if you're investing in Wellington apartments is the body corporates. So insurance is a real issue here because it's risk-based. And so as a result, you might end up paying a huge amount of your income to that insurance cost. So then I'd look at things like um, uh, there are certain hotel investments that I would look at, and we're going to talk more about that in a couple of weeks' time because I've been doing a bit more work on hotel investments, and there are good investments in hotels, and then there are poor hotel investments, which we've talked previously on the show about. If, on the other hand, like a lot of people in this room, you're looking for long-term growth, then I would take that and I would turn it into $5 million worth of purchasing power subject to bank approval. And I would go and borrow $4 million from the bank or as much as you can. And then I would invest all of that Anything you buy then is going to be cash flow neutral or it should be cash flow neutral and it's going to be better from growth. You don't have to put any more money into it and then I would sit on it for 10, 15 years, however long you've got and then I would reap the rewards later on. The next part of that is, okay, well, I've got my $5 million to invest, $4 million of the bank's money, a million of mine. Where am I going to invest and what's it going to be in? Well, that's where you might start looking at graphs like we've just been going through. In the episodes where we did the property market updates, we walked through this specific model. This is one model. There are lots you could use. And what I thought I'd do in front of all of you guys is jump into the back end of my graphing software. This is for all you data nerds. Do we have any data nerds in the audience? Anybody who's into stats? Come on, we're in Wellington. Yes! Yes! You're all doing a beautiful thing for society, helping us understand the numbers. And of course, again, all this data is on the website, but we can start to just look through and find a region that's undervalued. So Canterbury, I know for a fact it's about 16 to 17% below its long-term average. I probably wouldn't then look for a place like Otago, and let's just jump into this for everybody here, because 
because at the moment Otago is about 19% above their long-term average. And what you might look for is somewhere as well, I think Taranaki has been quite good as well. So this is the sort of thing that you would look for in order to be able to identify a region. And then you also want to think about what it is you're going to invest in. So as we know, and I think we did a show on this this week, apartments, did we do apartments this week? Hasn't been released yet, but it will be. So next week there is going to be a show where we talk specifically about the capital growth on apartments. And not all apartments are created equal. The Soho Apartments in Wellington, which are dog investments because they're small, hard to get finance on, they're a real challenge. And so you do need to remember that apartments, generally speaking, will get lesser capital growth than a house. So again, if you're like a lot of investors we work with and you're looking for long-term growth, you need a house or a townhouse unless it's an apartment in a smaller complex, which is kind of like a townhouse almost. So you've got to be really specific in what your buying criteria is. And we work with investors all the time in helping them establish what that is because often you don't know. And some of the things you want to think about is how much am I prepared to spend? So you don't want to be spending significantly over what the median house value is. If you're in Auckland, I'd want to be way under. I'd want to be spending something like 200000 less than what the median house value is because you've got more people that can afford to rent that and more people who can afford to buy that when you sell it in 15 years' time. And similarly, when you're thinking about what you're going to buy, and I know that on the question sheet, somebody had said, is it an apartment, a townhouse, a standalone? That's where you might look at some data like this. And this is special ed data that I've got from a friends at CoreLogic. And this hasn't been released yet. We will release it because it's so exciting. But what it breaks down is the capital growth, the annual capital growth for each unit type, whether it's a flat, an apartment, a residential dwelling, along with the number of bedrooms, which was really interesting. I'm not sure how many of you subscribe to our magazine, Juno Investing Magazine, but that was really fascinating when we did an article looking at the number of bedrooms and the impact on capital growth. Our conclusion mainly is that it's very inconsistent. So unless you're looking at apartments, there is no real trend as to the number of bedrooms a property has and its long-term capital growth. But there is between apartments and residential residential dwellings. So I just want to show you in Auckland, for instance, over the last 20 years or 20.5 years, a two-bedroom residential dwelling in Auckland has increased from 238k to 1.289 million. So about 8.59% per year. Compare that to apartment, which again, as we talked about on the episode, really good, but only 6.48% growth, which I believe in here was 24.5%. One thing to remember, though, is that history is no guarantee of future growth growth. And so just because an area has had historic growth doesn't necessarily mean if you buy there now, you're going to make money. And so there are areas like um, Tauranga, for example, where I think there will be some future growth, but it's an area that I would personally, if I were investing around the country, I would tread with caution because there are things that are driving the market up baby boomers who are moving from Auckland, downsizing their house in Parnell and buying their driving the price up that isn't bringing new industry and new jobs. And so you've got to think about things like how robust is the economy? And I've said it for years, watch out for Queenstown because it is a one trick pony. And something might happen at one stage that changes tourism, COVID. 
And so you've got to be really aware that we've got to think about the fundamentals of investment. Am I going to be able to hold on to this long term? And if you're buying in a major region, Christchurch, Wellington, Auckland, Hamilton, Tauranga, then you're probably going to get long-term growth, but you need to be able to hold on to it for the long term. So to go back to the original question, if I had a million bucks today, I'd go to BNZ, for example, I would borrow $4 million, actually I'd split bank between $2 million from KiwiBank, $2 million from BNZ, half a million with each for deposits, then I would go out and I would buy houses and townhouses if I were looking for long-term growth. Any time that I had a cash flow issue, a la when interest rates go up, I would add an apartment on to help fund those so that my portfolio was as neutral as possible so I offset the tax situation and then I'd just repeat the process. And just in addition to that, when you're looking for a hit list of where you're going to find these properties, that's where you might look at some awesome maps. I'm showing everybody in person these fabulous maps, which I made over lockdown, which shows where suburbs have had capital growth over the last 20 and a half years. So you can see here that Cannons Creek, I think it was, had 9.43% massive capital growth. Now, I see a number of you laughing because I know it's probably not the sort of place that you would actually want to buy a rental property in for many reasons. It's certainly not necessarily... The best region is what I've been told, but you may get greater yields there. So you might start using this sort of data to help you create a list of suburbs that you might want to look into, mixing both the capital growth and yields, but also mixing in what you know about specific areas as well. I just want to cover off one other question that came in this. Dasha, I mean, I am going to have to embarrass you here because it says, when do you listen to podcasts? What are you doing? Home, often working around the property or sitting up in bed. I'm glad that you've specified that you sit up and be really listening to that. So thank you. But the question was, what makes investors nervous about dealing with Opus? So that's a fair question. So we obviously give all of this information for free. And actually, we did a podcast this week in preparation for this, that is going to be released next week, which is following on from an investor that I was working with in Christchurch. And when we finished the meeting after like an hour and a half, it was a pretty intense meeting, he said, this just sounds too good to be true, which is fair. It does sound too good to be true. And he said, why isn't everyone doing this? And there is always going to be nervousness, and we're pretty good at this. So the problem is when you can come across pretty slick because you know what you're doing, it can also feel like a blue chip type situation in Auckland who was selling off all those apartments off plans, and then they disappeared with everyone's money. So good question. And anyone you get advice from, I guess you're going to ask, well, what's their motivation? How do they get paid? All of those kind of things. We give this information for free and we coach investors free of charge. And look, I do have a halo, but it's hard to see under this light. But I also do it so I can keep investing myself. So I have to make money as well. So we have two businesses that flow on from our business, a real estate business and a property management business. So if an investor works with us and they want to buy a property that we recommend, we make a real estate fee and we manage it for them. So I guess that's the motivation. However, we're also lucky enough and fortunate enough to have worked so long and hard at this business that we can give this information away for free. And if someone wants to use the information and go and do it themselves, they can as well. But don't be an S-Bend plumber. Don't be an Andrew Nickel and fix that S-Bend yourself because if something goes wrong, then you don't have anything to fall on. Fantastic. Let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you want to learn more about property with Andrew and I, why not check out our epic guide to property investment? This is our 16,000-word guide, which we've released freely available on the website, which just takes you through the basic details of property investment. So for you guys in the audience who are starting out, that's probably a really good place to start because it'll bring you up to speed on some of those basic details of property investment.
Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicholas. We're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time. 